We have been talking about the passion the last week of Jesus' life. And of course, we had to make that culminate with today, uh, of course, talking about the resurrection. I appreciate Brian reading the story of the resurrection from a children's book. Now, how many of you were listening during the children's time? Raise your hand, be honest. Okay, then we don't have to read it again. We'll just go with what he had. Um, Specifically, I was looking at the version of that story from the book of Matthew. So if you want to turn there in your device or on your Bible, whatever you'd like to do, you're welcome to do that. I'm not going to read the thing word for word. Let me just kind of talk you through the story. I like Matthew's version of the story of the resurrection because he includes a lot of details. Some of the details are very, very specific. For instance, you might remember, as Brian read that story, that when the ladies showed up, they talked about a Mary and Mary, and according to the other stories, there may have been some other ladies with them, which again isn't uncommon. Sometimes the Bible mentions a few of the people who were involved, not necessarily a comprehensive list. But as you, as you look at the story, as they came to the tomb, there were several things that happened. First of all, there was an earthquake. The earthquake was followed by the angel of the Lord not only coming down and rolling the, the stone away from the tomb, but then the dude sits on it. How many of you knew angels could sit? Anybody know that? Uh, I never really thought about that before. Why would an angel need to sit, right? They're not physical, corporeal beings like we are, or are they? Who knows? Nobody really knows. But the angel sits upon the stone. Um, He rolls it away, he sits on it, his face shone like lightning. Most people would say that the brightness of his face was indicative of the glory of heaven that he came down from, and that his clothing was as white as snow. Again, whenever we see the words white as snow, that reminds us of the holiness of God, and the fact that in him there is no blemish at all. And so this angel is sitting there, face shining, clothing white as snow, and the guards are just shaking with fear. And then they faint. He he speaks to the women. And his message is a very clear message. He says to them what every angel always says all the time. Don't be afraid. I got to tell you. Brian made a point of mentioning that the women ran to tell the disciples. If it had been me in the story, I would not have waited to run. I probably would have ran the moment the earthquake hit and I saw something shiny sitting on a rock, right? Amen? How many of you would have run away immediately? I'm a big chicken in in nature. I just would have run. Anyway, so um, he says, don't be afraid to them. He says, I know you're looking for Jesus. Now, the interesting thing is when I first read through this story, I'm thinking, when did Jesus come out? Obviously, he had to roll the stone away so Jesus could get out, right? No. Most scholars agree that Jesus, when he returned, was no longer chained to the corporeal limitations of this physical world. So chances are pretty good. Jesus left the tomb sometime during the night, and the reason the angel had to roll the stone away was what? So that the people could see that he was gone. And so he rolls the stone away. Um, He knows, he says to the ladies, I know you're looking for Jesus. He isn't here. He's risen from the dead as he said he would. They seem to always emphasize that because Jesus' followers just didn't get it. Okay, come and see where his body was. And then he immediately says, go and tell the disciples. Now we're assuming there was a pause in there, right? Come and see. Pause for a moment while they go into the tomb and see. And then go tell his disciples quickly. He's ahead of you. You will see him there in Galilee and remember what I have told you. So then they take off, they run away from the tomb and they were frightened. But the Bible says they were not only frightened, but they were also filled with joy. On their way away from the tomb, according to the Matthew text, Jesus encounters them. 
and they fall at his feet. They grab onto his feet and his legs and they worship him together. And Jesus basically says, listen, you're going to go on ahead, tell the disciples to head for Galilee and there you will see me. I love the story. The way it's told by Matthew, because you can see in Matthew's writing that he's writing to other Jews that weren't necessarily going to believe the story unless he included some very important details, the kind of details that an eyewitness would share. You don't get those kind of details from some of the other passages, but Matthew wants to make sure that they know there were witnesses to what happened and this is the way it occurred. Now, interestingly enough, the ladies were the witnesses, as far as we can tell, which, again, in Jewish culture, would not have been your first choice. Now, I am not advocating this. I'm simply describing it. But in their time, women weren't necessarily as credible as witnesses as men would be. So let me just tell you this. If you were going to make up this story, you wouldn't have women around arriving at the tomb first. That in and of itself gives the story credibility. And I believe that the women gave it all the credibility that it needed. Amen? So let's just get on from that. So in this version of the story, we see two groups of people who were at the tomb. And they were there for two very different reasons. Again, Mary and Mary were there. The other accounts, as I said, suggest there were more with them, and and certainly that is a possibility. Um, but, But think about for a moment, why did they come to the tomb? Probably, I would imagine. For the same reason that I, every once in a while, go to a a grave uh, um, a, a graveyard. I can't even say the words today. Sorry, it's that COVID fog thing. Um, in Howell, Michigan, there is a graveyard. Uh, uh, yeah, graveyard, where my parents have tombstones, and my grandparents have tombstones. And every once in a while, when I drive through Howell, I like to go up there and I like to sit underneath the tree that is near my mom and dad's tombstone and I need to sit there for a few minutes. You know why I do that? Because I'm looking for something, right? I'm looking for connection. I'm looking to pay my respects. I'm, I'm looking for probably still, even today, a degree of closure because sometimes I wake up in the morning and still can't believe that I don't have two parents to help raise our grand, their grandkids. Um, it's just hard. I go there to mourn. And probably Mary and Mary went there for all of those same reasons. The Sabbath had been the day before. When Jesus was taken down off the cross, they did so hurriedly. And they put him in the tomb immediately because of the Sabbath. Now the Sabbath was over so they could come and they could pay their respects. And I would imagine that they were looking forward to doing that. Other accounts tell us that they also went there to finish the preparation of the body. They had prepared herbs and spices and perfumes that would be laid on the body and anointed, and they would anoint the body with those things and, and it would help to preserve the body at least for a time. And so they went there. They went there to do these things. The other group were the soldiers. We're told at the end of chapter 27 that the soldiers were there at the request of the Jews to keep Jesus' body from being stolen by his followers because of the false claims that he had made. It's interesting that the Jews seem to pick up on the fact that Jesus said, I'm going to die, and then three days later, I'm going to walk out of the tomb. Did you catch that? So the Jews, as soon as Jesus is in the tomb, the Jews are going to the Romans saying, hey, we got to post a guard. Why do we need to post a guard? The man's dead. Well, his follower, he said that he was going to come back in three days. His followers could come, steal the body, and make believe that he rose from the dead. And the Romans said, all right. Well, let's put a couple soldiers out there, and they did. Now, how is it that the Jews could believe that, but the disciples couldn't? Every single time you hear the disciples, they seem to to just not get it. They didn't even believe he was going to die, let alone raise again. 
But the Jews listened, and the Jews heard. And so they posted two guards there to do their duty. They were there to protect the tomb, to keep it sealed up so that nothing could get in, okay? And again, imagine the Jews who didn't believe seemed to be more concerned about his resurrection than the people who walked and talked with him daily. They were there to guard the tomb and to be sure no one stole his body. Now, interestingly enough, when the angel appears, these two groups of people responded in two very different ways. As I've already kind of said, the soldiers, picture this, soldiers, Roman soldiers, Metal helmets, chest plates, shin guards. These guys have armor on, right? Um, Better than any football player you've ever seen. I mean, that's probably the closest thing we have now to armor is football, right? My son plays football. I love to see him take hits with that equipment on and watch him bounce off. Anybody ever worn football pads? I don't know how those people walk up and down the field with them, let alone play football, and it is crazy. But these guys were literally decked from head to toe with protective gear. They had swords. They had weapons. They were the thugs of their day. They were the muscle of their day. These were the guys that were known for their ability to fight and defend. And when they saw the angel, what was their response? They shook with fear and fainted. Does nobody else find that ironic? These are the guys that are supposed to be the tough guys. They're supposed to be the guys that can withstand anything. And they see an angel. They see a bright light. They see this dude start talking to him, And they pass out. I think that's hilarious. I can see that you don't see the humor in it. I'm sorry for that. I'm, I'm in a particularly humorous feeling today just because I'm here with you. But it's funny to me that these guys who were supposed to be protecting the tomb were the first ones to drop. And what happened to the ladies, the young maidens who are supposedly helpless, right? They stand there and go, ooh, what is that, right? They don't seem to even be phased. Now, the Bible says they were afraid. Obviously, you're going to be afraid. But they look up and they see the angel, and they're the only ones awake for the message. Why? Because they were there for a different purpose. Listen, the soldiers, after they passed out, and after they woke up again, they ran off and told their their, um, superiors, the Romans, they said, listen, somebody came and, and just like you said, there was this, this loud noise, this, this bright sound. We don't really know what happened. We don't know what story they told. But basically, they told the story of what had happened, and then they accepted a bribe. Their superiors told them, listen, I don't care what you saw. you got to forget what you saw, and you got to go tell everybody that some of Jesus' followers came and overpowered you and took the body. I don't know about you, but if I'm one of those guards, I'm worried about one thing at this point. Am I going to ever work again? I mean, consider this. These are the guys they put to guard the tomb, and now they have to tell a story that some followers of Jesus, some worthless Galileans, overpowered them (laughs) and took the body. Man, that's embarrassing. In fact, I would wager that if they hadn't been paid to say those words, if that had actually happened that way, I imagine those two guys probably lose their lives because that's just not what a Roman soldier does. Regardless, it would seem that their lives remain completely unchanged for the most part by their experience at the tomb. Now, the women, on the other hand, they saw the angel and they listened. They saw Jesus and they ran to him. They held on to him, and they worshipped him. The soldiers were unchanged by the experience, but the women, their lives, I guarantee you, would never be the same again because of what they saw that morning. They were frightened, but also they were filled with great joy. 
The soldiers were there because it was their duty. The women were there because they loved Jesus and had a relationship with him. Here's where I'm going with this. Why did you come to worship today? Why are you here? I'm not asking that in an accusatory fashion. We're glad that you're here. We're glad that you're listening online if that's how you're participating today. But why are you here? Because I believe that the purpose of your coming will be directly proportional to how much you gain from this experience. The reason that you come to worship, the reason that you show up on an Easter Sunday morning, the reason that you show up to your daily devotional time, the reason that you read the Bible, the reason that you pray, the reason that you sing songs of praise will have a direct impact on how effective those things are at building your relationship with Jesus. Because if you come as the soldiers did and and you're just coming out of duty, if you're just coming because you've always come, you've always done Easter at a church somewhere, and so you have to be in church on Easter, if you're coming out of some sort of duty, again, don't think I'm accusing you. We love to have you here. Don't get me wrong. But if you're just becoming because you've always done it, or maybe you're coming because you need to keep up appearances, maybe somebody's watching, and there's somebody you need to impress. Maybe um, it's because a friend invited you, and, and you value that friendship, and so you thought, well, I better go, or maybe it's as simple as this, and there's a lot of this that goes around. Maybe you're still just a, an adult trying to make mama happy. Amen? I, I know a lot of people. But I've talked to and I've said, what brought you to our church? Well, my mom wanted me to come with her, and so I came. You know, it's a good thing to keep mama happy, isn't it? Because if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. That's right. Some of you know that, yeah. Listen, I don't know what your reason is for coming, but maybe you came out of some weird sense of duty or compulsion or habit. I've even known some people that have joined churches because they wanted to broaden their business uh, dealings, you know, they, there's a whole crew of people that I can now try and relationship, build relationships with and tell to. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with that, I guess. But if that's the reason that you're here, you're not going to get the same thing out of it as someone who isn't. If you're here today, as we celebrate the resurrected Christ, if if you're here being um, participating in this experience, I believe there is potential for your life to be changed. With every encounter of the living God, there is potential for your life to be changed. I don't know about you, but when I come to church, even though I'm the guy up here, when I come to church, I pray every single Sunday, Lord, open the floodgates of heaven, show us your face. Send the smoke down like you did in the tabernacle in the Old Testament. We want to see the Shekinah glory of God. Now, if that actually someday does actually happen and smoke fills the tabernacle, we're all going to get cleared out because of our fire alarms. We found out that anything will set them off. But I'm here to tell you, I'll be sitting right here. If it's the Shekinah glory of God, I'm staying. That's what I want every single time we gather. But you know what? If you don't come to that experience with the right intent... I don't believe you'll walk away with the right result. Our experiences with God sometimes inspire fear in us. Sometimes because he is so awesome and so powerful and so incredible. We come into terms, we come into relationship with him and we see him for who he is and it scares us a little bit. But at the same time, if we walk in wanting that relationship, I believe that we will be changed and that we will walk away with joy. 
Friends, these soldiers, they walked away from the experience unchanged in any kind of way that matters and simply went back to their daily lives and of all things took a bribe that very day. No matter why you came today, though, I believe that there is an opportunity for you to get real with God today, to stop playing games, to stop keeping up appearances, to stop um, just doing it because and to truly seek him and worship him in spirit and in truth. And to surrender your lives to the only one who can introduce you to the, the peace and the joy that we all need now. I don't know about you, but if the world ever needed hope, it's now. I mean, here we are in Michigan with COVID numbers spiking and nobody seems to know why. And I'm here to tell you that everything I have placed my faith in in life other than God has eventually let me down. From the car that I drive, to the house that I live in, to everything my dollars have ever purchased, it all fades away. It all lets me down. Every government person I've ever voted for has let me down. Just saying. Everyone. Republican or Democrat, independent or whatever. I could vote for a communist and they'd still let me down. I could vote for anybody and they would let me down. Why? Because this world is imperfect. The only thing in the world that will never let us down is God, is Jesus. And listen, when we come to worship, if we come seeking him, I believe we will find him. And we will find what the ladies found. Fear, maybe a little bit of trepidation because you don't know what the future holds. When you release your life to God, you don't know what the future holds. And it is a little scary, I'll give you that. Can some of you imagine two years ago, Pat Gilbert up here playing the bass and praying halfway through an Easter Sunday morning service? That's a fairly new thing in Pat's life. And every Wednesday, he's been up here leading our prayer time. Why? Because God told him to. And you know what? The first couple times he did it, I could see it in his eyes. He was a little bit afraid. I've never seen him really afraid. But he was a little bit afraid. You know why? Because when we surrender our lives to God, you just don't know what the future is going to hold. But it will always be better than your past. Always. Every time. So today I want to just invite you in the few moments that I don't have left because it's time. I want to invite you to just be honest with God, to be straight with him. Bow your heads with me, close your eyes, or if you need to, lift your eyes toward heaven. I don't care what you do, but get in a posture where you can focus, where you can concentrate, and where you can pray. I want you to take just a moment and say to God something to the effect of, if you're feeling this, if you feel the pull, if he's calling you, Something to the effect of this. God, I'm here because it's Easter. But I want to live for you daily because Jesus died for me and because he loves me. I want to love you the way that you loved me. I want to be able to to see the angel and and hang in there for the message. (laughs) I don't want to be so afraid of God's words that, that whenever I start hearing truth, I just run the other way. I want to see the message. I want to hear the message. I want to take the message deep into my soul and I want to live the message because I want the peace and the happiness and the joy that those women felt as they ran away from that tomb. The day before that, they had no hope. But when they saw Jesus, they had hope. Friends, I hope that today before you leave, you will utter the words to God that that you want to take seriously the relationship that you have with him and that you want to seek him and cling to him and worship him with all of your might and stop going through the motions.
God, I want to pray for each and every person that's hearing the sound of my voice this morning. And first, God, I want to thank you for their patience, thank them for their patience, and you for yours. My brain is still a little bit foggy today. I'm getting there. Still a little bit foggy. But the one thing that I do know is this, that if each and every person who's hearing the sound of my voice will surrender their lives to you, they will find the best way that they can possibly live life. They will find the hope and the peace and the joy that comes from a relationship with God, a real relationship, not just one that involves doing religious things at religious times, but one that involves waking up every single day like my my dear friend Norma does, I know, and crying out to God for his presence and his kindness and his peace in, in our lives every day. Lord, I pray that you would help each person hearing the sound of my voice to to be willing to allow their hearts to, to long after you, that we might seek you every day and find you, that we might grow closer to you, and that we would never, ever, ever remain unchanged by the experiences of worship that we have, whether it's in a church or whether it's in our cars, whether it's in our prayer closet, wherever it might be. When we see you, God, we pray that you would allow our lives to be changed by you because we're there out of love for you and not out of some sense of duty. God, I pray that this Resurrection Sunday would continue to be a celebration for every single person who's hearing my voice, that they would walk outside this building and that they would enjoy the sunshine, that they would share the good news that Jesus has risen with every single person that they meet. And may we, like little Clementine did last week, yell hip, hip, hooray, because Jesus is risen. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. If you didn't watch that video, you need to see that. How about we do one of those as we leave? Everybody, hip, hip. That wasn't real good. Hip, hip. That was way better. All right, have a great day.